Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. This week we again go to our request bin and randomly pulled out a request from Jennifer for Cellar Dweller. Jennifer, thank you so much for this request. I think it's been a while since you requested this. So yeah. uh, happy to get to it. And, you know, this is a movie I'd never even heard of before, actually. Um, probably because it's one of, I don't know, like a million Charles Band produced horror films. I feel like you could just have a podcast on this guy's output alone and that would keep you busy. Oh, easy. For, yeah. for, forever, pretty much. And they're kind of recognizable too, to be honest. I mean, uh, they, they all have a similar production value, similar sort of standard and quality for special effects and often use many of the same actors uh, bouncing around there. So, um, yeah, Cellar Dweller. I hadn't heard of it before. This was my first time seeing it. How about you, Craig? My first time seeing it, I don't recall, I mean, it's a very catchy title, but I don't, uh, recall ever having heard of it, and nothing was familiar, um, aside from a couple of the actors, uh, a few of the actors, actually. But no, nothing was familiar, and honestly, I was not looking forward to watching this. <laughs> our text, con- our text conversation for this week went something like this. You text, you texted me, Okay, should we do movie A or Cellar Dweller? And I said, well, I watched the first 10 minutes of uh, movie A, and it was so bad I turned it off. But I'm not really interested in Cellar Dweller either. And you wrote back, okay, so Cellar Dweller it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I guess it, in, in retrospect, it sounds a lot like a parent giving options to his child. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> do, you want the, do you want the broccoli or the green beans? I don't want either. All right, you're getting broccoli (laughs) (laughs) so i wasn't looking forward to it but i try not to read spoilers usually in advance but i do a little bit of research beforehand to see you know when it was made what it's rated how long it is who's in it who the director is who wrote it that kind of stuff the director i didn't recognize but then when i went back through his films and he has worked i think more in special effects i think yes but he has directed uh, a handful of movies and one of those is troll which i love i love that movie mm-hmm. and kind of just looking at images of the monster from this movie i'm like okay i can see how this maybe it's gonna be like troll and that's fun and it was written he wrote it under a pseudonym but it was written by don mancini and i like don mancini too you know he uh is the guy behind um all the chucky movies however many of those movies there are now six or seven and now there's going to be a, a television series with you know all don mancini's behind it and the you know the actors from the franchise are, are on board and so i liked on mancini i'm like okay this is gonna be all right and it's only an hour and 18 minutes long <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was pretty much how i sold it to you in the beginning i said yeah, hey, it's only an hour much. 18 <laughs> yeah so i went into it thinking all right this could be okay and then i started watching it and the opening scene has jeffrey combs in it jeffrey mm-hmm. combs is the guy from reanimator very recognizable face I'm like, all right okay on board mm-hmm. but uh i have to say that ultimately this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen <laughs> oh, really? you would say it's that ho- 
horrible. After all we've been through. It is horrible. <laughs> the, the, what's the, the thing that's the worst about it is the acting. The acting in this movie is some of the worst acting that I've ever, ever seen. Oh, it's so bad. Worst? Oh, come on. The worst than Witch Trap and Witchboard? Yes. Maybe no. not Witch Trap. Maybe not Witch Trap. God, no. Oh, God. God, no, not worse than Witch Trap. That's that's my gold standard. Comparable. I didn't actually think the acting was that bad. I mean, I thought it was oh, pretty... My- God, Todd, it was terrible. It was that main, on par. The main girl was horrible. Yeah, but it's kind of on par for these movies. I mean, I, you know, you you don't expect a level acting in most of these films, and True. compare maybe just because I've seen Witch Tra- Witch Trap. Witch Trap is unbelievably bad. Let's like. I, I don't want to insult community theater because you and I are both quite heavily involved in the community theater, but uh, that witch trap was like community theater acting if I'd ever seen it. And so I think pretty much any movie that's even notches above it, I'm like, okay, I'll give it a pass. Oh my God. Yeah. Except like one, uh, one of the women in the movies getting killed by this big monster and she's just running around her room, like very nonchalantly. And like this thing is chasing her and she goes, Oh my god. Oh dear. Like <laughs> who says that? Like yeah. there's, there's So no, maybe maybe some of it's the writing too. There's no real emotion in this at all, right? You don't ever get a sense that people are ever actually reacting convincingly to anything that's going on around them. You you know, I I do I I will grant you that. Like the whole movie is just sort of like it, it's so simple. It's like a simple kind of enterprise and it's short and there's not much substance there it's a cool concept i think i I mean i got really on board with the concept from the beginning just because it tapped into some of my loves i mean the opening scene like you said with jeffrey combs in it is uh is a guy who's drawing a comic and it takes place 30 years ago 1985 so that would be 1955 and at this time in history, if you're a comic book fan, you may know was the time that horror comics were big and booming. Yeah. And none other than William Gaines, the man who um, behind a Mad Magazine, Mad Magazine got its start around this time, too, as a comic book published by the same company, EC Comics, Entertaining Comics. They put out Tales from the Crypt, The Vault of Horror, The Haunt of Fear, Crime Suspense Stories, and all of these Twilight zone type comic books that caused a huge stir and riled up parents and were the subject of they they had to go in front of congress and talk about how their comics weren't causing juvenile delinquency there was a there was a book that came out by a psychologist called seduction of the innocent and anyway it kind of forced these comic books off the shelf but mad magazine did end up surviving and ended up becoming their mainstay and bread and butter and and kept them going the thing is, like, they were great. These comics, every single one of them had kind of a twist ending to them. And then, of course, you know, Twilight Zone came shortly thereafter around the same time. Tales from the Crypt TV series. Is, and so everybody kind of knows what we're talking about here. But if you've never gone back and actually seen these comic books, and I was obsessed with the reprints. I think it was in the early 90s, late 80s, maybe. Um, a company got a hold of, of all the original artwork and issued reprints of these. So I, I own so many of them, and I go back to them a lot. There were great artist or, artists in here, just drawing excellent, excellent art. And that's what this guy's doing. He is drawing a horror comic. 
In fact, uh, it's taken from the EC Comics directly. The comic he's drawing is called Cellar Dweller. It's the same style. It's the same what the covers all looked like. And even in the corner is a little badge that says EC. <laughs> so um, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And you very quickly understand he's drawing this comic. And as he's drawing it, he's referring to this book that's obviously... You know, it's your standard necronomicon type book, <laughs> ancient book, bound in leather with strange incantations in it. And he's using it for inspiration to draw this comic, which is of a big kind of demon-looking, hairy, werewolfy type figure with a pentagram on his chest attacking a woman uh, who's got ha- most of her clothes ripped off. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing this, you see flashes of some of the stuff he's drawing actually being there in real life and or in our case we kind of realize appearing in real life and so the conceit is that he brings this uh monster this creature to life through his artwork through his comic book because of the curse or whatever that this book you know has kind of brought brought to it so the things he draws become real right like he uh he draws it and then he like you know references this satanic book with the pentagram on the front and he like he opens the book to try to find the dialogue or or whatever the word bubble yeah. is going to be above the monster or whatever and he opens it this book to this particular page and he reads one page and it was it's something like evil can only exist when man allows it to or something like that and then on the other page it says Basically, the premise is that by giving this demon or whatever it is, he says it's like part werewolf, part vampire, part beast, part ghost. Like, it's this crazy thing. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything, right. By giving it form, even a two-dimensional form, he wills it into existence. And that's exactly what happens. Like, the exact scene that he's drawn of this woman being attacked manifests directly behind him. But this is another thing. These, You know, I understand that these movies aren't going for intellectual stimulus. I get that. And honestly, I love those comics too. I was a huge fan of Tales from the Crypt, the HBO series when I was a kid. And I think that this movie would have made an excellent half hour episode of that show. Yes. That you expected those episodes to be over the top and campy and silly and fun. And I think that if this were condensed into 30 minutes, and you knew that's what you were getting into, it would be a lot more fun. I think this is just drawn out a little bit. The other thing that was hilarious to me is there's this, you know, satanic book. You know, it's this great big, huge leather-bound book. But every time anybody opens it, which happens three or four times, they open (laughs) to the exact same page and read the exact same words over and over and over again. Like, there are really only two pages to this book. (laughs) it's where the bookmark is come on (laughs) it's the most interesting page in the book so it's it's the only one worth reading the other stuff is just you know recipes for casseroles and stuff (laughs) But, but yeah you're right it's it's hilarious i mean there's a ton of hilarious stuff like this in the movie and one thing one issue i have with the movie and by the way i was prepared to come into this discussion saying exactly what you did as a 30 minute tales from the crypt episode this would have been par for the course as a 
at one hour and 18 minutes, it's, it's, it's already stretching it. Beyond that simple premise, it doesn't really have anywhere interesting to go. Right. And so that's the problem, right? There's no special twist. There's no whatever. You see what's happening right in the beginning and it happens and it just happens over and over again until the main characters finally find a way to confront it. Right. And a part of it, I think, is the writing. The fact that there is no build. There is nowhere for everybody to go or anything interesting happening. But then that causes perhaps the writing, the acting to be rather flat because they've got nothing really to react to. It's a very plotty movie. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just you watch a series of events unfold exactly how you expect them to unfold. They're all pretty much the same. Yeah. This guy, you know, eventually um, his way of destroying the beast is to burn the pages. <laughs> that was actually really humorous that he's got these pages in his hand. He lights them on fire and the beast starts to flame up and he stands there. And then he just kind of lowers the pages onto where he's also has some other other pages and then um, something spilled, I, like paint thin or whatever, yeah. turpentine spilled across the floor and that lights up. And he seems <laughs> almost nonplussed at the fact that also his entire place is burning up around him. Like there's no urgency for him to spring up and get the hell out of there. He just kind of like stares at the floor and the fire around him the way he was staring at the monster burning up in front of him, you know, and it consumes right. him too. And that, you know, that's that's the setup. And then it jumps to 30 years later after a very long, very low rate uh, credits <laughs> credit sequence <laughs> over some some comic cells. I mean, the comic cells themselves are fine. You know, that's yeah, like they it, look good. It, it looks like, you know, I made it on my <laughs> Dell Windows from like maker. 1989. Yeah, like it looks horrible. <laughs> yeah. But the, another funny thing to me was like, it's an inferno. Like he and the, <laughs> and the beast both die in this inferno. Huge and like that's the blaze. legend. Like actually what the legend ends up being is that he, the artist went mad and cause they found his body and this woman's body, the woman that had been killed by the monster. Um, they find him and the woman's body. So they think that he went mad and that he killed her, which of course we don't know. But, um, later on, not much later on characters go down into the basement and nothing burned up. Nothing like, burned. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. It was a mystical fire. Well, I, a mystical fire or everything in that basement was made of like asbestos or something because <laughs> nothing burned. Oh, maybe that's why they're forbidden from going down in there. Yeah, asbestos. Maybe. It's more about a, asbestos <laughs> a basement than it is about any curse. <laughs> okay, so our main character is Whitney. Uh, played by Deborah Ferentino. I didn't look her up. Was she in anything notable? She looked familiar. She's in a lot of television, actually. She's Quite very a pretty. Bit. Yeah. She's very pretty. She's got big 80s hair in parts of the movie, but, uh, but like your mom's big 80s hair. <laughs> <laughs> Not like Linnea Quigley big 80s hair. Yeah. What are you saying about my mom, huh? <laughs> my, well, my, uh, fine. My mom's big 80s hair. And, you know, of course, you've got the conceit of the taxi driver, like, warning her, like, oh, there's been lots of stories about this place, murders and weirdos and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, she's not deterred. It's now the Throckmorton Institute for the Arts. And it's like a commune of artists. And though it was a very clear day on the taxi ride, as soon as she gets out of the car, it's dark and storming. 
Yeah. And she goes inside and meets the, what would you call her, the leader, I guess, yeah, uh, of this a bo- place. There's apparently a board of directors, which we never see, but uh, she would be, I guess, the director of the of the Enterprise, yeah. Beholden to the board, yeah. Right. Mrs. Briggs. And I liked her, but I, I didn't look up her picture on IMD, her IMDb profile is old Hollywood, and she's stunningly gorgeous. Here, she's an older woman, and, and you know, a little, like, heavier, well, as we she, all get when we're older. This is hilarious, Craig. Uh, she's Yvonne DiCarlo, and she was Lily Munster on The Munsters. I know. I'm saying I looked oh. her up after, and oh, okay. uh, I then I was like, oh, Okay, I love her. (laughs) (laughs) I love her after all. (laughs) Yeah. I loved the Munsters when I was a kid. I thought that was the, I just thought that was the greatest show. And she's been in a thousand things too, by the way. She's, she has a filmography that's insane. She has a very strong presence even in her later years. And she, she did other stuff in her later years too. She was in American Gothic, which I've actually never seen, but I was always intrigued by the cover art. But anyway, she, uh, greets Whitney. And I like, it's apparent from the beginning that she doesn't like her. And she's pretty outwardly insulting and tells her that she thinks that what Whitney does... Whitney is also a comic book artist and illustrator. Whitney tells her that she's a huge fan of Cellar Dweller and that she wants to make a new comic inspired by it. But uh, Mrs. Briggs isn't impressed at all. And, and she takes her around the house. This was so weird to me. Mm-hmm. She takes her around the house and she's like... Oh, this door will be of interest to you. This is uh, the door to the cellar where your hero, you know, did his work and killed people or whatever. She's like, but it's totally off limits. And then, <laughs> and then Mrs. Briggs walks away and Whitney immediately goes down there. Like, <laughs> well, she imagines going down there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but I was really confused because she goes down there and like everything's clean and dark white and they're like marble statues and stuff and there's like a woman tied to a table and then there's like a zombie axe murderer and i was like what is happening <laughs> that was weird right that didn't make any sense that was a total non sequitur i mean it was supposed to be some i guess just a vivid mixture of images from you know the incident that had happened before it's like the same girl with her saint with her torn off clothes but then the zombie axe murderer kind of comes from Nothing. Well, and he, I, I wondered, like, he's dressed like Jeffrey Combs was in the first yeah, scene, but that's what it was I'm pretty to sure be. it wasn't Jeffrey Combs. And and why would he be a zombie axe murderer at this point? But it did get us our quote of at least four boobs within, like, the first uh, yeah. ten minutes, so I that think that was more true. the purpose of that scene. Not terribly stimulating, though, I have to say. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are boobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a low budget film. You got you get what you pay for. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Then she meet. Okay, so then she continues to follow Mrs. Briggs, and they meet um, some more people who live there. 
They walk into the kitchen, and Lisa, played by Miranda Wilson, who all, again, did lots and lots of TV, soaps, Days of Our Lives, I think, is where she got her start, but lots of soaps and lots of TV. She's sprawled out seductively on the kitchen table, and I was like, what? Why? <laughs> like, sit in a chair. That is disgusting. That's where you eat. Like, cause she, I don't, she wasn't like in her underwear, but she was like in a negligee or something. She was like mixing something up in a bowl. <laughs> I don't know what she was doing. Like, like oatmeal or something. She apparently is a performance artist. And then Philip is sitting at the table. And I kind of maybe got the impression that maybe Lisa was on the table because maybe she was modeling for him, even mm. though Philip does abstracts now philip is played by brian robbins who if you watched any television at all in Mm. the 80s you will completely recognize he was on every 80s sitcom every single (laughs) one he was on it yeah (laughs) was a guest guest character who came in maybe the very special episode you know Uh uncle bill who was an alcoholic or something comes in that kind of thing well he was like a teenager so he was always you know the love interest for the teenage girl in like one episode or he would do a three episode arc but he's super recognizable now he's a huge executive like (laughs) his resume like he uh has produced so many things um he's the president of like children's entertainment for one of the biggest conglomerates in hollywood like hugely hugely successful at this point apparently but he paints abstracts and he's immediately enamored with whitney mrs briggs shows whitney to her room i guess or her studio or something and i thought just out of the corner of my eye, I looked over Whitney's shoulder and there was the poster for Reanimator, which I yes. thought was hilarious. It was. <laughs> and as it turns out, there's imagery from several movies. Yeah. Just randomly on the wall. Like, I missed it. I didn't see it. But apparently the troll poster is there somewhere. I'm almost positive I saw the image from the cover art of dolls with the doll with no eyes, like, holding her own eyeballs. Oh, yeah. There are several throughout, which, for a horror fan, again... If this were an episode of Tales from the Crypt, it would be a great episode. But it just feels so padded. Like, there there are too many characters. Um, and, and they're obviously there so that they can be killed later. Well, God. it's also trying to be really funny because it presents these artists all. So so you mentioned, um, Philip, you, you mentioned Lisa, I think. There's another guy we'll meet later called Norman and another woman named Amanda. And it's just... It's making fun of artists. You know, Philip comes in to, while well, she's immediately, Whitney's immediately gotten to work drawing in her studio, and Philip is immediately in there chatting her up and invites her to come upstairs because they're going to have a, his gallery critique, which they do every week or something like that. So they go up to critique Philip's art, which looks like it was drawn by a child. It's like, uh huh, like it's finger like painting. Finger painting stuff. And I mean, I appreciated this comedy aspect of it, of portraying these artists. How, to be honest, we often see these kind of artist enclave type things where everybody's, you know, patting each other on the back and doing, trying to out weird each other and got all these kind of quirky personalities. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like a a quirkiness (laughs) one-upmanship, you know, stereotypical. It's funny in concept. I just thought it fell super flat. Oh, no. uh, Oh, no. 
It did. Because they get there and they're looking at the art and uh, Mrs. Briggs is, says something serious about this silly painting. And then suddenly a guy springs out and his name is Norman and he's got a gun and he grabs Lisa and says, give me that art or I'll shoot her. And I don't think I won't. And, and Whitney is... turns out this is just norman he does this sort of role play acting things out because he's a writer and he's writing some the next raymond chandler inspired kind of gumshoe story so former private investigator turned like crime writer detective story writer and i guess when when he gets uh writer's block he acts out scenes to try to inspire himself and everybody else just goes along with it (laughs) and it's so half-baked because this norman character i mean you think oh private investigator is he going to be you know kind of like bringing those skills into play in the actual plot of the movie later he's typing things up in his little (laughs) office which i thought was so adorable (laughs) oh my god honest like an old-timey typewriter and he's got a bottle of whiskey next to him and he's smoking a cigar and it's like you know music is going the the voiceover of just totally that you know cheesy crime novel, detective novel, narration. That part did make me smile just because it was so stereotypical and so silly and so intentional. And I did think it was funny to look at for a second. It was, yeah, for a second. Well, everything's kind of half-baked, right? It's like, oh, these are kind of funny, cute concepts, but either they're poorly executed or they just, they're there and then they're gone again. Because, um... It turns out there's another woman there named Amanda, and she's doing video projects, video verite type, slice of yeah. life type stuff, I guess. <laughs> it's That's really silly. But she meets up with Whitney, and they've known each other before. Apparently, they were freshmen in art school, first-year art school or whatever, and Amanda was known for stealing other people's art and concepts and ideas and stuff, and apparently did one over on Whitney at some point, so they're not very friendly to each other from the get-go. So there's that tension, which Norman overhears. And he overhears it, and he's writing it in his little tech, in his little notebook as he's kind of creeps around and takes notes on things. And so I thought, you know, he would be a kind of a pivotal, integral... The guy who's kind of the brains who kind of pops in and tries to figure out the mystery of what's going on when things start going on. But he just kind of does a little bit, and then... He dies. So, you know, again, it just it just feels like not very well fleshed out, all of these mm-hmm. ideas. And, of course, it's just a hodgepodge. You know, it's a crazy, silly hodgepodge of things that don't really go anywhere interesting. 
and aren't even even that well executed, right? Right. No, I mean there it's there are no stakes. Like it's yeah. it's just the lineup of goofy characters who you know are just being lined up to be killed, and eventually they are, and not in particularly interesting ways. Whitney dreams of the beast. It's all just flashback stuff from the first scene that we saw, but she dreams of it, and she wakes up to hear this constant screaming. And she, you know, looks around the house, looks towards the cellar. The screaming's not coming from there. Um, she finally goes outside and Lisa is just standing, screaming her head off. And when she hears Whitney behind her, she turns around. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I wake you? Yeah, you did. You were screaming in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, what did you think was good? And and she's like, oh, I just do this to release my creative imagery or something. Like, okay, in the middle of the night? Mm-hmm. like. Oh, and all the others, they're so used to it, they just sleep right through it. You know? Sorry <laughs> to wake you so, up. <laughs> so dumb. And then they, you know, they have kind of like a... Uh, oh, we're friends now, talk, and <laughs> right. there are weird sounds from the cellar, and Lisa jokes that it's a, the ghost of Childress, the comic writer or whatever. But after, you know, Lisa kisses her goodnight on the cheek or whatever, Whitney goes down into the cellar um, and gets scared by Philip, and then opens this trunk, which we had actually seen that Childress's satanic book had fallen into the trunk, and the trunk had fallen shut in all of the commotion before the fire. Good thing it didn't get burned up, and that somebody had the foresight to lock it, I guess, after that incident with the padlock. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't even matter, because seriously, nothing is burned. Yeah, nothing. exactly. <laughs> Even his wooden drawing table is still there <laughs> with well, papers and on like, it. <laughs> com- yeah, comic books on the shelves and stuff. Nothing, nothing is burned. Yeah. But she finds uh, the satanic book and she's all excited. And so the next morning she convinces Mrs. Briggs to let her work in the cellar. You know, Briggs doesn't like her anyway, but she's like, well, you know, if you let nobody else is using the cellar and if you let me go down there, it'll open up another spot and then you can bring in another real artist. And Mrs. Briggs is like, okay, whatever. Um, so then there's a cleaning montage. I don't know that I've ever seen a cleaning <laughs> a montage lame, before. It was a lame cleaning montage consisted entirely of hands dusting things. <laughs> yeah, and my favorite was that it ended on a very lingering shot of presumably Whitney's hand dusting off this marble statue and lingering over its tiny penis. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is, what, why? I think they're just attempts at humor throughout. You know? <laughs> just, like, keyword attempts. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, but then, you know, after she decides to let her go down there, she still's got it in for Whitney for some reason. So she calls in Amanda and says, Amanda, I have a little project for you. And so while Whitney is down there drawing, Amanda is up outside one of the basement windows filming her with her video Obviously. camera. Obviously. Like, yeah, like, all Whitney has to do is glance up. Not at all. Right. <laughs> right. God. But Whitney, you know, opens the book and decides she's going to use this book to draw a monster. And uh, this book is so great, and, and so I'm going to use it as inspiration to draw, like, the best monster in the whole world. Philip is on board with it and all that. She writes, she draws it all down. Well, and she's, she's clearly never seen, you know, people in horror movies have clearly never seen horror movies. 
movies because, you know, she draws this beast, then she draws a big pentagram on its chest, and then she takes these, like, runes, like, or, or some old, you know, ancient language that she has no idea what it says and uses that as its thought or word bubble. Um, so, you For know, no real it's good just, reason. you know, it's like every, you know, group of teenagers or 20 somethings who goes to a cabin in the woods and finds the satanic book and thinks, you know what? We, I, we should read this aloud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> same thing and so then and so the, the beast manifests behind kind of. her but yeah but something that we uh didn't mention before is apparently the you know the beast because i guess it's part ghost right. uh it can also just appear and disappear at will right <laughs> um, so she doesn't realize that she's brought this thing into reality i, I think the beast appears when we need another kill and then disappears for a lot of boring talking and then reappears yeah. for another boring kill. I mean, it's really how it goes. Yeah. Unleashing the beast in this instance is more just like unleashing a nuisance. It's like a cockroach. You can't get out of your house. Like it, it's quiet for a real long while. And then suddenly you see it scurry across the floor and yeah, and then it's gone again for a while. You and, know? and let's, let's talk about the beast for a second because yeah. honestly, I, I don't hate the way it looks. When it's not moving or talking, because it talks <laughs> <laughs> in English. <laughs> okay, so when it's not moving or talking, I don't mind the way it looks. It, it is very reminiscent of the creature effects from Troll. Oh, very, yeah, very similar. Uh -huh. I mean, the same guy worked on um, the, the director of this movie, who, who you mentioned, came up through special effects. But basically, Roger, he was Roger Corman's guy the head of his special effects division for years. Uh -huh. This was his very first directing project. And he claims he was the first person to make the jump from special effects to the director's chair. I don't know about that, but yeah. that's what you can see on his IMDb page. So it looks okay. It, it really looks okay. But it's obviously a guy in a suit, which, you know, cool. I, that, that's fine. I don't know if it was limitations of the suit, but it barely moves. Like, yeah. it pretty much just stands there. Always. It has some movement in its face, but not a whole lot. And so it'll stand there. It might take a couple of steps towards somebody to kill them. God, honestly, I barely even remember the way that it kills people. Like, I think it just grabs them and rips them apart it's a lot of close-up shots is what it is and and hands when you don't see the rest of the creature I, it, it really is this is a movie that you know it relies on close-ups and it's trying really hard to give you a good special effects beast so it lingers on you know shots of his face and shots of it chomping down on arms and legs and spitting out blood and swallowing eyeballs and things but it's still just that one shot, right? You don't very often get a full body shot of him, and you certainly don't get much movement. You know, every time, like, he rips the bodies apart, and you see kind of very quick close-ups of, like, limbs being torn apart, and then afterwards, it always eats them. And it, like you said, it's super close-up shots of this thing's mouth all covered in blood, like, munching and crunching. And it's the same every time, yeah. to the point where I kind of suspect... That they just used the same footage for every yeah, kill, perhaps, or or or, the, or they shot 
five minutes of this footage and then just cut it up and used it for every kill because it looks exactly the same every time yeah i think you're right same lighting setup same everything nothing really in the background it's just all about the creature and kind of mostly in dark you know half darkness you know it reminded me a little bit the look of the creature reminded me a little bit of if you took that little goblin the genie or whatever from sorority babes and the slime ball bolorama and just made him a little bigger and put a bunch of hair on him that's kind of how he looked and moved i guess let's see whitney uh confronts Amanda about being Snoopy and, and again, Norman overhears this. So he knows there's tension between them. And then Amanda sneaks down into the basement, finds a copy of Cellar Dweller, one of those other horror comics, takes it. And then in Whitney's style, recreates it and signed Whitney's name to it and she's setting her up. She makes this video where she accuses, she, the, apparently she's going to give to the board of directors or whatever that accuses Whitney of plagiarizing, um, whatever. I mean, Amanda's just a bitch. Like, that's the only characteristic that she has. She's a conniving bitch. Yeah. Meanwhile, Whitney is down in the cellar and she draws Amanda being attacked and it happens exactly as she's drawing it down to environmental changes like <laughs> Whitney draws a, a cell that shows Amanda going to reach for the door but there's no no doorknob and in we see in the scene Amanda reaches for the door and the doorknob disappears complete with like a bloop sound effect like <laughs> and a little little animated uh, you know wisp over it yeah uh it's very, very silly, and that's when she's getting attacked. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. <laughs> and Whitney draws her saying, won't anybody help me? And so she says it pretty much just like that. It's all horrible acting. The effects are exactly as we just described. And when Whitney's done drawing it, the last cell is the monster who says out loud, who's next? And so we hear the monsters say that. So she's kind of set everything in motion. And from here on out, the monster pops in and kills people one by one. And at this time, it's like the pages of the comic book manifest themselves. Yes. And and, and so I feel like, again, it's kind of a cool concept. I liked it. I like the idea. Let's put it that way. And it was interesting then how it allows them to uh, either be stylistic or save a lot of money, whichever you prefer to choose, so that these kill scenes intersperse bits of the cell that are showing what's happening mm-hmm. or what is about to happen with what you know the actual what's going on and i actually thought that was good because some of these would show what was about to happen and so there was some anticipation there that that bit was was pretty clever yes i agree and and the artwork's pretty good too so that's the conceit and we just see that happen like three or four more times right it happens to norman norman is like you know investigate because amanda's missing mrs briggs is worried nobody else cares because they hate her anyway but uh, Norman investigates and he thinks that Whitney killed Amanda because for revenge or something. But then he doesn't get to share that theory with anybody because he immediately gets killed. Yeah. And I don't I don't even remember it. 
Like, I don't... <laughs> well, he's, he gets into the, he's in his investigation and Amanda's missing. So he goes into Amanda's room and he plays that videotape that she made. And there's a part of the videotape where she's talking directly into the camera saying, oh, Whitney's plagiarizing. This is proof, yada, yada, yada. While the monster is rising up behind her and, and attacks her. So her attack is caught on camera and that's what he sees at the same moment. The monster's also rising behind him, right. and he turns around, and, and he gets it. So, Oh, he gets his head knocked right off. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> that was kind of fun. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Flies across the room, hits the corner in a couple walls. I like that bit. <laughs> and then Lisa takes a shower. <laughs> well, wait. When did we miss it? Oh, because I, I jumped to Norman's death. I wanted to at least mention Lisa's <laughs> performance. <laughs> oh, that was one. I I want to say unintentional, but I don't even believe that to be true. I, no. I believe that this was completely 100% played for comedy because she's a performance artist. And so like she has her face made up like Ziggy Stardust kind of, and she's in a leotard and tights and a, like maybe like a, tutu or something and she's dancing around and she just keeps saying death (laughs) (laughs) she's got dolls hung up on the wall that are labeled with the names of the people in the house and a balloon above each doll and she'll like pop the balloon and take the doll down and dance around it death is sad (laughs) 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 and then she'll roll around on the ground and it's so dumb it's so so dumb but that part actually really amused me because (laughs) i didn't major but i studied theater in college and i didn't take it but alan did a uh, there was a performance art class and they would have a showcase at the end of every semester and it would be literally this type of shit. (laughs) This is is funny because it's true. Yeah. This is not a lie. No. You really honest to God stuff just like this. Like people going around and like blowing out candles or like my (laughs) performance. This was one of my friends. I hope she never listens to this. I don't think that she will. But one of my friends just sat on a couch and ate a bologna sandwich. Like that was... Her performance. Like- <laughs> B plus. <laughs> or baloney. <laughs> oh boy. So that was funny. Um, but then things like somehow Whitney and at this point, Philip is just kind of her little lap dog and it's all very goofy, but um, she opens the book to the only page that you can open this book to right in the middle of it (laughs) and reads um, the same thing that we've seen before. So she figures out, I guess that the curse is real. It's a pretty big leap. Yeah. But she does. Well, don't, don't, don't they see, she sees um, papers materialize also in front of her. Of of Lisa's death. Right. And, and, and it's happening at the same time. Like, like it's the, the movie is cutting back and forth between Whitney coming to these realizations and seeing it appear on the page and Lisa, and we actually see what's happening to Lisa. And again, you know, of course, you know, put this young blonde 
pretty girl in the shower for no reason and then just have her like, oh no, my towel is missing. So uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just going to have to run around. Philip, are you playing around with me again? I'm coming out there. <laughs> so silly. And, and they, they know that it's happening, but they're too late. I mean, they, they get to her door as we see her being torn apart and eaten in the exact same way that we've seen everybody else yeah and so then they kind of like run away they've seen the monster it kind of chases them slightly and then the next shot is they're sitting in mrs briggs office worried and they're like look we're telling you there's a monster here like what uh what what happened between suddenly you guys calmly sitting in her office two doors down from where this woman was brutally slaughtered and you saw this giant monster well i i feel like they immediately run to the um seller again and Whitney is kind of hysterical but her acting is so bad like it just looks totally fake meanwhile Philip is completely unfazed like he's still like cracking (laughs) jokes yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly and and then Whitney like I don't know where this comes from but uh I, I guess because they're all artists she deduces that the monster feeds on creative energy so like Quite literally, it's eating these artists and feeding on their energy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking. They're looking at the illustrations and the monster, and they're again very reminiscent of Troll, like these weird lighting effects that look like they were done in post, like they're like illustrated in these green lights, like floating around, and the monster's hand bursts out through the paper and it grabs Philip and Whitney is knocked to the floor and knocked unconscious, which happens in movies all the time. I've never seen any, I've never in my real life just seen anybody, you know, barely fall down and be completely unconscious, but whatever. Um, but when she wakes up, when Whitney wakes up, Philip is just gone. And so she goes to Mrs. Briggs and Mrs. Briggs is kind of strangely calm about the whole thing too. Mm. Um, and then I don't even understand what happens here. Yeah. Like, Mrs. Briggs walks behind her, like, to get her some tea or something. And she's like, it's okay, dear. I've been going through some changes, too. And when Whitney turns around, Mrs. Briggs is turning into the monster? Yeah. I was confused. I mean, I think that this was just the way that Mrs. Briggs dies. I guess, like, the monster just takes her over. But in the moment, I'm like... Was she always the monster? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem is there's no real rules for this, right? It's kind of right. hard. It's, it's There's no real consistency, no pattern to follow. The monster just can reappear and manifest itself anywhere it wants, but it chooses to to wait a while in between each time. <laughs> so, you know, it just it, then. Yeah. But that leads to my favorite part of this movie. The end? The credits. <laughs> yes. The monster drags Whitney to the basement and pages keep appearing and she's like, you know, throwing things at it for a good 30 seconds, a minute. And eventually she throws a little bottle and it spills on the page and the monster is hurt. And so she looks to see what it was that she threw and is now running down the page and it's fucking white out. Yes. That is how you <laughs> defeat this monster with whiteout. I know. That was great. And so she just gra- <laughs> grabs a big bottle and just dumps it all over the page. And, you know, I mean, she, 
shouldn't that fix it all? I, yeah. I don't, I don't understand why that didn't end it. Well, she should just be done, but instead she dramatically, Oh, Philip, I'm so sorry. Like, no tears, like just the fakest crying you can <laughs> ever imagine. Meanwhile, the monster is gone. She's defeated, but the way that, you know, she has an idea, like a light bulb goes on in her head. And she draws a page in which Philip is the hero and defeats the monster and gets the monster chained up to the wall. She does it and she's done and she looks at it and she's waiting for something to happen and nothing happens. And she's like, oh, Philip, I'm so sorry. And she like kisses her fingers and like puts it on his face on the page. And from behind her, she hears, that's it. I want a real kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes Philip, all smiles, with the monster chained up again behind him, behind the wall. And I'm like, you stupid bitch. Like, I know, right? You what? got rid of the monster, and then you immediately brought it back. Like, you drew it again. Like, couldn't you just draw Philip leaping out of the page and then we're done? Right. Uh huh. So she draws everybody back. It's just a scene. There's not even any dialogue or anything of just all of the, everybody who's died except, it's on yeah, they're just sofa. sitting on the couch, like having tea, like high tea, like they're all dressed to the nines. I know. And then Whitney and Philip peek around the corner just to see that they're there and then look at each other and wink and smile and then go back around the corner. Mm-hmm. It looks so goofy. It's like, oh, we got to get this scene in. They see it. Okay. They go downstairs. But the monster's still there, right? Yeah. And why doesn't she just white him out again? Right. Well, she's like, the way that Childress defeated him was by burning him up. So that's what I'm going to do, too. And she tells Philip to grab a wastebasket, a metal wastebasket, and he does. And she crumples up all the pages and throws them in and starts burning them. And it works. The monster catches on fire. But then, as we are seeing things burn in the uh, trash can, all of a sudden, it's the picture of Philip, and it starts to burn, and she's like, oh, no! And <laughs> she she looks at him, and he bursts into flames and starts screaming. And then we see all the other people upstairs, we see their pictures start to burn, and they start screaming, too. And it almost seemed implied to me that it wasn't maybe even really them that she brought back, because as they're burning they kind of look like the monster or like monsters like the monster. Anyway, it ultimately doesn't matter because they just all burn up and Philip is the last one to burn up. And she turns around and, and sees on display a big uh, drawing of the beast with the thought bubble over its head that it speaks aloud. I mean, the, the beast isn't there anymore, but we hear the voiceover read, wherever there is imagination, I will dwell. And and then the monster is not dead, and it attacks Whitney, <laughs> and we just hear her scream, no! <laughs> Cut to credits. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say that I expect, I, I wasn't expecting it, but I thought, 
again, the movie's very inconsistent in the way it portrays itself. There's not a continuity to how all this seems to operate. But um, when she was throwing all the pages in there and burning them up to kill the monster, I was going through my head, wait a minute, if that destroys the monster, wouldn't it also destroy the people? Uh, and so when the people got destroyed, I was like, oh, wow, that's actually kind of cool. And then at the end, you know, it just ended up hokey. But as a 30 minute, this would be very typical, though, for like a Tales of the Crypt kind of episode. And yes, so, oh, absolutely. As you said earlier, if this movie had been 30 minutes instead of an hour and 18, it probably would have gone down better. I mean, still wouldn't have helped the acting or anything, but the fact that they sort of had to stretch it out, made a lot of it very nonsensical and forced them to really fill it up with a bunch of silliness. Yeah, and, and Tales, you know, Tales from the Crypt, you know, of course there are also the movie anthologies based on these comics, um, Tales from the Dark Side, Creep Show, and, and I really like those too. Mm. But I loved um, Tales from the Crypt, especially because it was very tongue-in-cheek. It, you know, it was constantly yeah. winking at you as the audience. Um, and I liked that. And I think that this would have, you know, I would have enjoyed this as an episode of that show because I would expect this kind of hammy acting and this hammy storytelling. And I don't even want to say that this movie takes itself too seriously. It doesn't. It's no, just, it doesn't at all. It, it's just that uh, it, it's almost like it just tried too hard. It, it should have been a half hour. You know, they, they could have kept Mrs. Briggs. That would have been fine. They could have kept the, they could have kept the nemesis, you know, as fodder for the monster. They would have kept the, the love interest possibly, but they easily could have cut the gumshoe guy. They easily could have cut Lisa, even though I liked her fine, but she, you know, unnecessary. Trim it down, get it to a nice solid 30 minute, give it this, you know, grim ending, which Tales from the Crypt always did as far as I can remember. Yep. And, uh, I, I think I would have liked it. Now, as, as bad as I thought it was, I didn't walk away from it angry. We have watched some movies that I thought were so bad that I walked away from them pissed. Like, I can't believe I watched that. It was horrible. <laughs> it was a waste of my time. I didn't walk away from this angry. I just walked away from it thinking it was bad. And that being said, I kind of expected that we would have fun talking about it. And I did have fun talking about it. So, yeah. and, and again, Thank you to all of you who uh, send in requests. We've been getting a lot of requests lately, and Todd is usually the one who responds to private messages that we get. And uh, your go-to response is, thank you so much. Uh, we'll get it on the request list. And we really do. We keep a request list, and, and but it's long. So if you request something, don't think that we're ignoring you. It may just take us a while to get there because we've had so many requests, but keep them coming because yeah. this is the kind of thing. We wouldn't choose. No, I, we never would have chosen this. I never would have watched this. I thought it was a stupid movie, but it f for the podcast, you know, it's fun to talk about, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I mean, again, I mean, we've seen, like you said, much stupider movies, and I, I just kind of shrugged. I mean, again, it was, uh, it kind of was what it was. We've seen movies like this. This is exactly the kind of thing I would have seen on USA Up All Night, mm -hmm. you know, and probably would have felt better with a few commercials padding it out, honestly, to break up, break right, it up, right. come back to it, kind of forget how silly the previous scene was, <laughs> you know. No, I didn't. I don't feel. I didn't react quite as strongly as you, as far as uh, I, I wouldn't at all call it the stupidest movie I've ever seen. 
or the worst acting I've ever seen. I just thought it was a kind of mediocre all around. Interesting premise. The premise deserved more. But once again, if you had trimmed it, just like you said, to a 30-minute thing, it would have been even more in spirit, in keeping with the spirit in which I believe it was made as an homage uh-huh. to these kinds of, of, uh, of stories. I got to tip a little bit of my hat to that one as well, because we also sure. see a lot of very uncreative horror films, too. Some oh, just, yeah. just guys in different locations, you know, hacking people apart, random weirdos or, or random silliness. And this, uh, uh, this, this had a theme that I thought at least had a little bit of heart behind it, True. even if it wasn't executed as well. Uh, so I did, I did like that. Well, thanks again for listening. As Craig said, if you have a request or you just want to tell us what you thought of this film, please just look us up, Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast. You can just Google that. You'll find our Facebook page. You'll find our website. You'll find our Twitter uh, feed. Send us a request. We will add it to the list and hopefully get around to it soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. And also check us out on YouTube if that's your bag. We have a YouTube channel there as well. Uh, Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Bye.